Welcome to another episode of Everyday El Dorado. I'm your host, Deanna Bond, and I'm here to share my perspective on the fine art of living well every day in El Dorado. Celebrating 150 years in El Dorado is brought to you by Everyday El Dorado in conjunction with Golden Road Studios the Butler County Historical Society, home of the Kansas Oil Museum, the City of El Dorado, KBTL 88.1 The Grizz, and our series sponsor, Linda Baines, Realtor with Sun Group Real Estate and Appraisal. We're so very grateful for the support that makes this series possible. Welcome to another episode of Everyday El Dorado, where we are celebrating 150 years in El Dorado. Why would you want to live anywhere else? I'm always waiting for you to say, I do. I do live somewhere else. <laughs> I know, that's why I'm quiet. <laughs> I'm trying to... I don't know what to say. I'm like, sure. No, what you could I say do. is, I love El Dorado so much that I commute from where I live. Yes. <laughs> to be fair, I live somewhere else first. Yeah, then I know. God. Yes. That's right. You're slowly, yes. but you love us so much you're helping celebrate. Absolutely. And I don't live that far away. Yeah. So, I mean, I kind of yeah. think of you as an Elder Raiden, yeah. kind of. Yeah. It's like a sleeper. Yeah. Suburb. Suburb? Sure. We'll call it a suburb. A bedroom community. But yeah. Well, essentially, it yeah. really kind of is. Kind of is. Yeah. So, we'll just keep where she lives under, under wraps. Yes. Yeah. I'm your host, Deanna Vaughn. And I'm Suzanne Walenta. And we're here to share this week's episode, which is a bonus episode. Right. It's a special, a special edition, special a bonus yeah, episode. That's a good way to phrase it. Mm -hmm. And Suzanne is taking the lead on this one. I'm pretty excited. <laughs> We're actually filming this on October 12th. Right. And uh, we are focusing on October 11th. Mm -hmm. Why are we doing that, Suzanne? Well, on October 11th, 1820, there was a gentleman born. Um, General, well, he becomes Brigadier General Alfred W. Ellett, and he's an important part of American history and also El Dorado history. So, what does W stand for? I actually don't know. Is it Washington? I think it was. I think yes, it was Washington. W the W stands for Washington. Well, so because I sometimes say General Washington. Oh, okay, yeah. That's not his name at all. No. But I get him confused with, you know, the General mm -hmm. Washington. So, General Alfred W. Ellett was born. He was born um, October 11th, 1820. So, this past yesterday was his 200th birthday. Mm -hmm. Big birthday deal. Yeah. Um, he was originally born in Penns Manor, Pennsylvania. Okay, let's go to this. She's one. like, I want to get it right. Yes. I don't want to just wing it. Deanna's all about, eh, let's wing it. Let's wing it. No, we'll make up right. a conspiracy theory. Okay, so I'm just going to kind of read from this, so I apologize for kind of... Gil, right ahead. That reading is allowed. Reading is important. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Necessary. So, growing up... So, Al, this is about Alfred. Um, growing up on his father's farm, he was schooled in Pennsylvania until the age of 17. When ill health prevented him from further education, he and his brother, Dr. E.C. Ellett, went to Illinois, where they established a village called Plainview, 10 miles north of Bunker Hill. Alfred farmed 
ran a small store and became the first postmaster, though he was not yet of legal age. He's hmm. already done wow. quite a bit by the time he's 18. I mean, it sounds like he's uh, into community service. Mm -hmm. Yes. He probably got paid for that, though. I would think so. But if he and his brother started mm -hmm. the town, they were probably the only ones there until it started growing. Oh, so. you know what I'm seeing? The beginning of a pattern. With land investment. And developing. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. At I a mean, very early age. I mean, you know, they're going to start their own town. Uh -huh. they got to start having improvements. Having a postal line is important. Yes. Because who's going to come live there if they can't get mail from back home? I mean, that's my conspiracy theory for today. That's, that's important to have. Mm-hmm. So in 1843, he married his childhood companion, Sarah J. Robarts. They made their home in Bunker Hill, Illinois, had five children, two of whom died in infancy. So their surviving children um, end up being Edward C. Ellett, later of El Dorado, and California, William H. Ellett, later of El Dorado, serving as postmaster, and Mrs. Elvira Kindle of Chicago. Engaged in raising stock and management of country store, he also worked with his brother Charles in the civil engineering field. His brother Charles was a well-known civil engineer, mm -hmm. or comes to be known as a well-known. Serving with distinction in the Civil War, Ellett served as captain of the 59th Illinois Infantry. He later served as lieutenant colonel under his brother, Colonel Charles Ellett Jr., in the Mississippi River Ram Fleet. Following his brother's death, he assumed leadership of the fleet and later commissioned to the rank of Brigadier General of Volunteers in November of 1862. In the 1870s, Ellett arrives in El Dorado, moving here from Topeka, and before that, Philadelphia. Hmm. His interests in El Dorado include banking, bringing the railroad to town, opening and opening the Ellett Opera House. He was known as a giant in the stature with his commanding presence of strong moral conviction and character the kind and generous, generous heart. Following the death of his first wife, he marries Abigail Robarts. Mm -hmm. When stricken with partial paralysis to, due to a stroke in 1893, the Ellets, Alfred and his wife, spent a year in California hoping the climate would improve his health. When it did not, they returned to El Dorado. A series of other strokes follows, and he passes away in January 9th of 1895 and is buried in Philadelphia Cemetery. So that's a, a quick little overview of a little biography of him. So I have a quick question. Yes. There. Uh, you said his wife's name was Robards? Uh-huh. Both wife's names were Robards? Both wife's names were Robards, yes. Okay. And is the, are they sisters? They were, um, he married the niece of his first wife. Okay. And so that's probably not uncommon. No, it really it was not uncommon in those times um, as... Uh, women didn't have any rights, especially um, for property. Um, and so it wasn't unusual for um, relatives in some fashion to help take care of a woman. Um, so most likely she may have not, her own father may have passed. She may have, um, this is all conjecture. I don't mm -hmm. know, I sure, haven't sure. done research on nope. her. Well, conspiracy. Yeah, conspiracy. Um, she may have not had, um, Father may have passed. She may have not had any brothers. She may have been considered a spinster. And um, what we know of Alfred um, is that he was very much a man of service to others. You probably saw this as, I will take her under my wing. I will take care of her. And that's not to say that, you know, 
love can always play a factor in mm -hmm. things as well. So we're not negating that, but it was not unusual um, for the times for you'll see distant cousins marrying each other. And so, yeah, him marrying me, the niece of his first wife is not unusual. Well, I thought I'd Google that up real quick. Mm -hmm. And by Google, I mean verb for look for. <laughs> uh, Google has become the, the, um, the verb for everything. And uh, I thought, well, maybe I could. And it was R-O-B-A-R-D-S? R-O-B-A-R-T-S. That's oh, the way well. I have it, but it doesn't mean that that's not a, well, you know, how records get. Yeah. Well, we'll look. The spellings. I'm sorry. Abigail. I got Roberts Robarts. Robarts. Hmm. It's going to take, you know, that's the thing when you go looking for for women in trees. It's yes. a lot harder to find them, but I bet yes. if we, we um, edit our search to look for Mr. Ellett, I bet we find Abigail. Yes. So that's kind of the thing when you start looking for mm -hmm. people um, and you can't find them, it's important to know some of the names surrounding it so you can go look for them and then really get into reading uh, records and things. Mm -hmm. So as soon as I type up Alfred W. Ellett, it pops right up that there's a a census of 1930. That's probably not him. No. But it could be a son. Yes. Uh, uh, it's either a son or grandson, maybe. Let's see if I have his. So we have an Alfred W. Ellett born in 1872. I think that's his grandson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think he has a grandson with Alfred. Okay. So let's see. We've got... This, so there's another Alfred Washington Ellett, born in 1871. And our Alfred Washington Ellett is probably senior, mm -hmm. or the first, he was born October 11, 1820. And you said in Bucks County, Pennsylvania? That looks like this is our guy, right here. I found, I so um, on mm -hmm. Ancestry, it's really great that you can look for that. Now, I have my own Ancestry account, but if someone wanted to look for um, a, an ancestor or a founder of El Dorado or something, and they didn't have Ancestry, what would you recommend to them? Well, if you're in the Butler County area, we have free access to Ancestry mm -hmm. on our computer. Um, would be one of the things I would recommend. Um, and so you could come in and use and use that. So would would we need to make an appointment or just kind of pop in or? Right now, uh, if we are open to the public Thursdays, uh, Fridays from ten to four, and then Saturdays from noon to five, uh, there's not always somebody in the library on those days mm -hmm. to assist. Mm -hmm. But it is open to public then. If you aren't able to come in on those days, uh, Tuesdays and Wednesdays, you do need to make an appointment. All right. When I look up Alfred Washington Ellett here, then I have, it shows Abigail Ellett. Mm -hmm. that, that's our Abigail. Yes, robot. that is the second wife. And, uh, and she's listed here when I follow her link. So just follow the connections. When they, if, they, if there is a known relation, mm -hmm. they connect that. Then oftentimes you can go look. And this says uh, she was born in Illinois and she died in San Diego. So it looks like um, in, in 1928, so it looks like she would have moved out there after mm -hmm. after her husband died. That's a whole nother story, isn't it? Well, I think she has a daughter. Mm -hmm. She has a daughter that ends up living in California. No, I'm sorry. It's a son who lives in California briefly. So mm -hmm. yeah, she probably went out there to live after General Ellett passes mm -hmm. and she was buried out here with him. And it looks like she was 
19 years his junior. Oh, that's so, interesting. Yeah, so makes mm -hmm. makes uh, sense that um, she would have lived longer. Mm -hmm. Not that any of this is relevant, except for that I like looking for female ancestors and connections because that can kind of sometimes open up another rabbit, <laughs> another rabbit hole to go down. Well, and often um, in history, we, uh, we don't get to always hear the story of the woman. And so that can be an interesting mystery to unravel because who are the women in history that don't get named and mm -hmm. what are they doing? Mm -hmm. It's their story. Uh, yes. So talking about stories, so we are looking at October 12th mm -hmm. newspaper and this is the El Dorado Daily Republican from October 12th, 1915. So this was a Tuesday and uh, we just sometimes just pull up just do a quick keyword search for something that we're looking for. And I first went looking for Mr. Ellett and there really was, you know, not as much about him as I thought there would be, which I was surprised. Were you surprised? I was surprised. I was surprised about that as well. It's, it, we don't get, I think you and I were talking about this, is that um, nowadays and how we report stories or people, there's always seems to be like an introduction of, for example, Deanna. Deanna likes, you're having a story about Deanna and what she's doing. Everyone, you might have an article that says, so you may know Deanna because she does this, this, and this. And there's always that quick introduction about the person. Mm -hmm. And when we look for newspaper articles with a general outlet, it doesn't create the way people wrote for whatever reason. You don't get a personality profile first and mm -hmm. then the story. It's mm -hmm. just a different way of reporting, mm -hmm. which goes back to what you're talking about for um, those rabbit holes of who are these people mm -hmm. other than just the name mm -hmm. on the paper? Yeah. So since I I found some things, and we'll probably talk about that later, but I thought, well, let's just go a different angle and see what we can find. And, and I came across an October 12th, so the following day. And Mr. Ellett was no longer alive, but I just thought it was interesting, you know, an interesting time. It's near his birthday. And, um... On the front page of the article of the Daily El Dorado Daily Republican is uh, well, right at the top of the page is oil flow is a good one. So our Kansas City firm says. And then when I pulled this up, I I looked at Suzanne. I said, "What happened in October 1915?" Well, October 6, 1915, Stapleton Number One is tapped for oil, and they do find oil. And El Dorado oil field, excuse me, mm -hmm. I didn't say that. And it wasn't called the El Dorado oil field yet, was it? it? Was I don't know if we know. So this article, what we know now is the El Dorado oil field, a big, yes. a, a really great find. Uh, this was just six days into finding it. And uh, in it, they are interviewing another firm that is not connected with the drilling of it, but they want to be a part of you know, getting a lease on the land if it turns out to be a, a strike of of momentous uh, discovery, you know. And, and what they discuss in the article is that a lot of times they'll hit a well, they'll hit a site, and it'll just be a, a shallow field and there's not much to it. And so there was speculation that that's what this was. It was just a shallow field and it would, wouldn't amount to much, but there was a lot of secrecy surrounding the this well, this location, and they were running people off and 
didn't want people to know what they'd found there. So they were trying to, to keep the lid on it while they uh, ran around and secured the leases and the, and the rights for the land surrounding. And so uh, word was getting out a little bit. People from Arkansas City, Wichita, surrounding areas were coming in and, and trying to figure out if it was worth trying to purchase up the lands and do some some digging of their own drilling. So I thought that was neat. And right below that uh, is the article that says, Her Majesty the Kaffir Queen has been selected. So I knew in October uh, was the time of the Kaffir corn carnivals or festivals. And because oil had not been found yet, that was still the big thing with Butler County was the Capricorn, um, that uh, product, what, what's the farm word for that? That harvest, that crop, oh, there we go. That crop was really important to the lives of Eldoradans in Butler County, Butler County citizens, because it was what kept the animals fed and also they did attempt recipes and meals <laughs> ideas with it, I've read. Um, but it was the Capricorn Carnival was a an invention, a creation to stimulate the economy and kind of create El Dorado as a destination. I mean, a lot of times you can look back at history and see it repeating itself. Uh, but they created this, and by they I mean a group of businessmen calling themselves the Knights of Mapira. You ever heard of them? Briefly, I've heard it's one of the early fraternal organizations, but I don't know much about yeah. what their mission was. Well, I most people didn't know. They were they were like a top secret group of, um, uh, you know, they weren't Rotarians or Kiwanians or uh, I, I, I even chamber. We didn't have an official chamber of commerce yet at this time. That doesn't come about until 1921, which after the oil and the lot of business coming to town and booming has a, a reason to create a, a chamber here. So this was a group of businessmen who created an organization that their sole purpose was to uh, promote this festival, to create the festival, to get people to come to town and um, spend three days. It was a, a three day event and El Dorado would be turned into Kafferville a fictional town. Lots of storefronts were decorated and false facades were put up with flowers and I mean it was a big deal. Yeah the pictures at the time are pretty amazing what people did. Uh, they decorated the booths with just and I think I could be wrong I think each town even in Butler County would come and represent like had a special mm -hmm. booth and they would decorate it to represent their town. And, mm -hmm. and the schools. Yes. They would they would get out of school and come and take part in the events and go from booth to booth or storefront and, and learn about the, the town, the community. And it was really kind of a big networking party. And and in keeping with parties, they had to have um, someone preside over the event. So this the Knights of Mapira, they would fundraise, they would plan it, they would network, they would get everybody together. So as best as I have learned from my and I'm not the expert on this, um, but but from the research and stuff, the best I can tell is they were um, kind of like an early downtown Main Street, kind of. 
where they were promoting people to come into El Dorado. They were um, promoting El Dorado to the outlying communities. And this Capricorn um, carnival then would uh, really benefit the whole community, but El Dorado was financially uh, benefiting. So that part of their um, celebrations is that they would select a queen to preside over the weekend. And their queen would be the Capricorn queen. Um, and then they would also have a Miss El Dorado. So the Capricorn queen was selected from all of Butler County. You had to live in Butler County to uh, be nominated or considered. And um, you couldn't live in El Dorado. So, I mean, that's kind of where I think they're spreading the love. El Dorado is getting all the funds here, the businesses and the community. Uh, but then they would um, select a queen in her court. And then there, there would be a Miss El Dorado, so she would be from El Dorado. And these young women would be taken to parties and grand balls and dinners and um, the parade. And they would just uh, add an air of... Um, I guess pomp and circumstance <laughs> to the whole weekend. And um, so it was top secret. How they, everything was a secret, how they did everything. And so there's an article in here that talked about how they selected the queen and uh, she will reign over Cafferville and Butler County during the three days, all three days of the festival, which this year would be held in 1915, October 20, 21, and 22. And uh, there were three members of the Knights of Mapira who would select, they were, they were top secret. Nobody was even allowed to know who the selection committee was. And um, they're, I guess like Grand Poobah. <laughs> Did you watch uh, the Flintstones and they had the water buffaloes? Yes, if you remember that. I the Grand, that. Mm -hmm. grand Poobah. Yeah. So they had kind of a Grand Poobah and they called him the, or I'm, I'm thinking it's a him, the Loma Gundi. The grand, the, he was the Grand Loma Gundi. He didn't even know who the secret committee was, which I find that just fascinating. Someone's got to know something. So the name of the girl, even the color of her hair or eyes, all of it was kept secret um, until the first night of the event when there was a, a ball held. And um, you want to take a guess where they held the ball? Could it be the Ellet Opera House? It could. That's have a great time. <laughs> of course, of course. So her identity, according to the article, would remain a profound secret except to the members of this committee until the first night of the Capricorn Carnival when the masks are removed at the big ball to be held at Ellet's Opera House. Her Majesty will be the central figure at the big ball and will be formally presented to Butler County populace at that time. So I think it was kind of like a coming out ball. And there would be the queen, the Miss El Dorado, her court. So there was also attendance mm -hmm. from little young girls up to uh, high school age. Uh, the, this queen and uh, she would receive a cash prize, kind of like a scholarship, cash prize, an outfit, a day dress, an evening dress to wear to the ball with her mask, which I think that's fascinating too. Everybody wore masks and then kind of like a Mardi Gras party maybe, yeah, yeah. but pre-Mardi Gras, I don't know when that started, but that's they would, question. yeah, just fascinating. Maybe we need to host a, a ball for our party. That would be fun when all this... Stuff is over. I mean, 
of a masquerade ball. Oh, true. A mask that we don't have to wear. Yes. A cool one that we uh -huh. want to wear. Decorate, bedazzle it. <laughs> yes. I guess you could bedazzle your mask. Now I mean, too. I mean, I I know some people with some really blingy masks, but this was more like face, like mm -hmm. cut, you know, you could breathe. Your eyes. Yeah. Um, and so they would, um, you know, give her an evening gown, a day dress, a pair of shoes, a purse, and money in the purse. And this was to help this candidate, whoever was selected queen, to she could use that to further her education, go off to school, uh, go to the big city. A lot of times these young women would go in search of fame and stardom, and they want to go off to uh, the big city, Kansas City or California, Hollywood. And um, But sometimes they use that and get married. So that evening gown has was used as a wedding dress. I think Aww. I think we have one on on uh, display here. We do. The museum has a. Um, sorry, I don't remember what year it's from. We have a gorgeous beaded dress on display mm -hmm. from one of the Capricorn. Um, is it Queen Capricorn Queens? Is that mm -hmm. correct? Um, we have her dress on display. We have her shoes. They're not on display. We actually have that as well. And we have a picture of her in the dress, which it's a great, it's a great little. Very little find out. It's gorgeous. It's a gorgeous dress. So this was from our Kaffir Queen in 1911. So that was the first year that we held the Capricorn Carnival in Butler County. As my understanding, that was the very first year. And um, of course, I know a little bit about our queens, <laughs> our Miss El Dorado, and our our Capricorn queens and queens throughout the year. Again, not an expert, just a passing hobby but uh so her name was marie joyce Locke, and yeah. she was selected um in 1911 four years before the discovery of oil in butler county and um and it was following the the butler county fair so that was usually held in august but i think they were still looking to continue mm -hmm. celebrating there was still harvests of the Catholic Kaffir corn, kaffir wheat, kaffir, I don't kaffir know what, corn. yeah, I don't know what that is. It's a corn. It's a grain? It's a pre, essentially, a, I don't know if pre-Milo, I don't have the best agricultural terms. Yes, yeah, same. But it's basically maybe a distant cousin or it's before Milo. It's, what you see is Milo is a variation. Variation? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to say hybrid, probably okay. a variation, mm -hmm. most likely, yeah. So mm -hmm. what we know today, it's, yeah, it's closer to Milo. If, mm -hmm. you, were to, if you were to reference it, it's and you know, one of the things I think is uh, Butler County was, I think, also kind of showing off at what wealth and riches and agricultural um, opportunities were here for farming and business because there was so much, they had an abundance of it, they could then go and build a whole town with what wasn't being used after they stored it and processed and did, you know, had enough for their animals. They still had so much left over. So, they threw a party with it. Well, and there was such a series of droughts mm -hmm. and other issues in farming that kaffir corn was so drought resistant or hardy mm -hmm. that um, essentially they were celebrating. We finally have found something that, um, in addition to ranching, mm -hmm. um, that'll help sustain us in farming. Mm -hmm. And here's kaffir corn. It is kind of the jewel in the crown of Butler County. Look what we can grow even when it's 
rains are scarce and the grasshoppers come and the winds blow, we can still have a harvest and mm -hmm. still be productive. Mm -hmm. so it was very much an important part of mm -hmm. Butler County. Pre-oil. Pre-oil, yes. It was our big claim to fame. It was. And now, I wonder if they teach anything about that in schools anymore. That's a good question. Early, our early at our early mm -hmm. days, you know, because when looking at uh, researching for this series and we look at the the evolution of El Dorado mm -hmm. in Butler County, you know, it really started out as we're we're wanting to grow the voting district, you know, mm -hmm. so play on words, growing the the voting district, and that's how the town grows to now land opportunities, the land and farming and ranching and growing things that way until oil's found, and now we're growing our town with this new commodity, you know, essentially gold, <laughs> liquid gold, uh, that's just uh, seems like there's no end. I mean, it's bottomless. We're still bringing oil up out of the ground today, a yeah. hundred years later. Um, and then, you know, then we kind of transition to oil, um, from oil to water. We Water is a big, um, uh, commodity for El Dorado we have the lake and uh, but oil still still uh, I'd say near the top of that yes but Kaffir and our ranching and our farming so so pivotal to that uh, so so like you were saying that that display kind of features some things from that first mm -hmm. first Kaffir Capricorn Festival on our first queen. So very interesting. Maybe we can have a, I, I mean, not maybe, I think we will have a future episode on, on the Capricorn yes. uh, carnivals and events throughout years and our queens yes, and our Miss El Dorado history. Absolutely. But our tie-in for today with uh, General Ellett, since his birthday was October 11th, um, and this is October 12th today in the paper we're reading, October 12th from 1915, that, that they continued, that even after his deaths, this building that he had built for El Dorado really became a centerpiece for town. It was not only an opera house, but it was a meeting place. It was an event. They were holding balls, which was probably the biggest thing, the biggest event they had in town every year. Can't imagine too many other parties going on. In fact, I haven't learned of any others yes. in town at the time. So, just a little bit. So, if you're interested in learning more about that or any of the other fantastic articles in the paper from October 12, 1915, you can um, look that up. Uh, the El Dorado Daily Republican. Um, if you need some help with that, you can always contact the museum. <laughs> Make an appointment and someone will be able to help you out. They can help you with the, the old newspaper articles. We hope you're enjoying today's episode, which is brought to you by our series sponsor, Linda at sungrouprealestate.com. And we would love to know your thoughts and comments. So if you'll leave us a comment on our Facebook page, Everyday El Dorado, and please subscribe to the podcast or YouTube channel so you don't miss any of these great stories we're covering here on Everyday El Dorado. We're celebrating 150 years in El Dorado. Why would you want to live anywhere else? I know I wouldn't. I'm going to let you be in charge of the rest of our show. So okay, we yes. have our intro. Yes, to talk a little bit about Mr. Ellett. Or, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, General Ellett. General. So do we call him General Ellett or do we call him Brigadier General Ellett? Like, what's the official... In writing, and I've been doing Brigadier General. Um, however, that's a really good question. I've heard people 
say both. I I don't know. Mm -hmm. I try to say Brigadier General because mm -hmm. I feel that that's the rank since he mm -hmm. was that's the rank he was commissioned with. Mm -hmm. But it's but general's just a, like a Mister, a Mrs. General is like you reach the rank of general even if there's multiple general ranks. We got Brigadier General, Major General. This is true. General. They didn't have a five-star general at that time, correct? Right. right, they did not. But I guess if you just call him general. Who was General Washington? Was he just a general general? Hmm. One-star general? That's a good question. Look at that, another rabbit trail, but let's go down it. Just, just to satisfy my curiosity. So general, so he's got the colonel in the colonial forces. Mm -hmm. He was a general and commander-in-chief of the Continental Army. He was lieutenant general for the, oh, we forgot about lieutenant general. So we got brigadier, major, lieutenant, and then general, top general, right? And general of the armies, pro promoted posthumously in 1976. That's probably when he got his five stars, looks like, yeah. yeah he got his five stars well after. Yes. <laughs> well, that's all right. He didn't need bragging rights. He was no. first president. He had enough, right? He had a lot of. He has a lot of things he can brag about. So he must have been a a regular, a regular four star general, regular, regular yeah. brigadier, major, lieutenant, and then regular general. Oh, right? gotcha. That makes sense. Because you're familiar with the ranks. I mean, than I am with your military. I mean, I, I wouldn't. I mean, I remember. But I don't know what they were in, in 18... That time. Yeah, because things have changed. Yes. Well, especially that. You're talking about colonial America. Like, right. And different. Civil War time, yeah, which I'm not... I wouldn't say... I don't... I'm not, I'm not an expert. Remember, I know nothing. I'm an expert in nothing, except asking a lot of questions, uh, researching. So... All right. Having said that, we don't have an answer to that question. We have more questions, which is fine. We'll call him Jeff. We call him General. I think that's fine. Uh, so since we filmed the first portion of our story, this episode has kind of been in multiple parts. <laughs> multiple parts. Um, I reached out to a friend of mine who is in the army currently. He's a colonel on tap to become a brigadier general. Oh, what a great contact! I know. So I said, "What do I call him?" I mean, he's he was a brigadier general, Ellet, but it makes sense to just say general. Everybody's a general. Or do we walk around saying, hello, brigadier general, you know, and in writing, do I say brigadier general, or I've been referring to him as general, and guess what he says? What? We identify him the first time as brigadier general, okay. Ellet. In writing, we would just, after we spell out brigadier general mm -hmm. the first time, then we would just use BG. Ellet oh. to indicate he's okay. a brigadier general. Okay. And then if we're talking about him, we would say brigadier general the first time. And then every time after that, we'd say brigadier. Oh, that's really interesting. So if I wanted to say happy birthday, general, uh -huh. which is what made sense to me, I'd say happy birthday, brigadier. Oh, I like that. I know, right? But not happy birthday, brigadier general. That's a great learning moment. Yeah, and he said you would you wouldn't say general because then that would bring up which general is he, which star is he, one, oh, two, three, or gotcha. four, right? And okay. if he's general of the army, uh -huh. then you would say general of the army. But you can't just say general because then people don't know. Even though 
we we identified him as a brigadier general in the beginning and we don't talk about any other generals we'd still say brigadier oh well cool that's great to know yes because for our upcoming birthday celebration that you know el dorado's birthday yes and a display with him you would the first time identify it fully mm -hmm. then bg and then from there just brigadier, brigadier. so if i want to say the brigadier I don't know what I'd say about that, but we we refer to him as general in El Dorado. Yeah, I think most people most people do, but that's a great that's great to know the official proper way. Makes me wonder what does it say on the uh, statue outside the monument. I think the first line is Brigadier General, mm -hmm. but after that, in the summary or the, I don't know. I that's a good question. Yeah. let's go look at it. Okay, it says dedicated to the memory of Alfred Washington Ellett. So it does say Brigadier General, U.S. Volunteers, Commander of the Marine Brigade, Captain of the 59th Illinois Infantry, August 20th, 1861. He was the Lieutenant Colonel for the U.S. Volunteers, April 28th, 1862. So this is probably date effective date of rank. Mm -hmm. Brigadier General, November 1, 1862. This marker erected in 1979 at the request of his grandson, the late Charles Ellett of Palo Alto, California. Alfred W. Ellett was one of El Dorado's early settlers and up to the time of his death, the city's leading and most illustrious citizen. He was a man of strong moral conviction and character he opposed slavery and had the keenest sense of justice and right. He was a lover of his home and family and a true patriot of his country. Well, that's very well said. So they just identified that he's a brigadier general the first time. And then what about the, what's on the other side? I don't know. Let's see. Cause I never look at this side. Oh, it's, right. oh, it's the dedication of the other way. Dedication of the boat. On November 1st, 1937, the USS Ellet destroyer DD-398 was launched by the U.S. Navy, commemorating six Ellet family members who distinguished themselves in service to their country in the Civil War. Brigadier General Alfred Washington Ellet, Lieutenant Edward Carpenter Ellet, Colonel Charles Ellet Jr., Colonel Charles Rivers Ellet, Colonel John Ellett, Colonel Dick Ellett. And so was it Edward Carpenter Ellett who moved here first and then Brigadier General Alfred Washington Ellett followed him and that's how they became to El Dorado. That's what I believe is correct. Well, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. touch on first his connection to Butler County okay kind of what we did and uh, we can go into some other areas about his his background mm -hmm. but so by the time he gets to Butler County um, his son Edward is already here so with his son Edward and a close friend Nathan Frazier which is a popular or not a well-known name mm -hmm. in El Dorado Alec organized the Bank of El Dorado later to merge with Exchange Bank and then it becomes the Farmers and Merchants Bank 
Uh, he was Ellet, General Ellet was also directly involved in procuring the Old Florence, Al Dorado, and Walnut Valley Railroad, built here in the 1880s. Its name is later changed to Santa Fe. Mm -hmm. During um, the 1871 county seat war, this is a fun little interesting fact about the people. Ellet is in the area by this point. He's um, he's moved from Topeka by that time. He advises the barricading of the courthouse when it is learned that the men from Augusta plan to seal the county records by force mm -hmm. and supervises the defense of the records. Hmm. So that would have been an interesting moment in history to be yes. to watch to see this. Civil War Brigadier General defending the courthouse from the Augusta men. Those Augusta Those ruffians. Are, yes. Huh. Well, okay. that's, that's you know, that's a little bit of history that I know is, can be contentious between right. <laughs> Augustans and Eldoradans. Um, I'm not as versed on it, except for knowing that it happened. Right. Uh, but knowing the tie-in with, with General Alwyn mm -hmm. makes it a little more interesting to, right. to look into. Yeah. We had our own Civil War general. Yes, that's defending the court house. That, that's probably how come El Dorado remained the county seat. It, it could very well be. But maybe why his uh, his likeness is on the statue outside uh -huh. here. Yes. <laughs> so El was also involved in raising livestock and participated in civic affairs. During the severe drought and grasshopper invasion of 1874 at Butler County, he collected money and supplies from areas back east to provide relief to the local citizens. And as we mentioned before, the Ellet Opera House, mm -hmm. um, 1884, he was the primary, I don't know if I want to say investor, but primary. Stakeholder. Stakeholder, yeah, mm -hmm. that's a good term for it. Yeah, so those are, um, and he also, a couple of little things, he um, was um, a supporter of the cause of prohibition and he actually played an important part in making the state the state a prohibition state. Really? He was a teetotaler. He was. He was. So those are a few little little interesting nuggets about mm -hmm. our friend Alfred W. Ellett. You know, I when when researching some things about him, uh, the kind of the details that we find kind of give you a picture of a man who uh, is an investor, a real estate um developer mm -hmm. you know definitely i think that and you know just from our early, early sketch of him i think that started early i um i think he uh, must have had some guidance or a mentor in life just really explained to him uh the value in investments right building a town starting a town growing a town now when he gets to el dorado el dorado was already here um, it wasn't, I wouldn't say, a, it wasn't a booming town. We know that. It right. was It was. It was here. And I think a, a natural draw for people to come here because of, I was going to say the benefit, the beauty of the land. I mean, just the opportunity. Gets, mm -hmm. There's opportunities opening mm -hmm. up across, mm -hmm. across the state. Yeah. And you were, you were talking about that in the late 60s, early 70s. Towns were really growing then. Mm -hmm. um, and, and he had connections. I mean, I think that's something that we don't want to forget is we're not talking about his military history here today because there is so much. Oh, you could, oh, well, you even found a 400 page book just I mean, on his military. I mean, it was a pretty fantastic campaign book. Campaign alone. Yeah. And so it's, it's there, yes, it's detailed. I mean, if you are a, a military history buff and you want to learn more about Ellet 
not just General Ellet, but his brothers and sons and nephews. And, and it's really um, a story of the Ellets and their men during this uh, defense of um, Memphis. They cut off Memphis from Vicksburg. Well, Vicksburg. it's both, isn't it? Uh -huh. well, hang on, let me. I we mean, can, here we, we are. We can pull that up. We can pull that up. We, can we can. It's right, Memphis. Yeah, Memphis. And I thought I thought Vicksburg as well. And Vicksburg. Uh huh. Both of them. Yes, both. Mm -hmm. Um, he really. I mean, he really achieved rock star kind of fame. Yes. For his um, his military accomplishments with this Marine Brigade, the Ram Fleet, and. Um, just his, I'd say he's, he seems like a risk taker, for sure. So. The battlefield, but in, you know, I think in general. But it's, these are all little pieces that you got to put together from all these little articles that don't really give a full description of him. Yeah, I've, and I feel, just from research, that he's not in it for the fame or the glory. Mm -hmm. He's just somebody who steps in, who he's the call to action. An opportunity. Uh huh. I see him definitely as there's an opportunity, uh -huh. like you said. There's a call. There's a need, and there's he is he's always he's at the right place. Yeah. I mean, his uh, brother Charles was it Edward Charles Charles Edward the old his, the brother that he Charles Charles mm -hmm. is the civil engineer who designed this ram yes. fleet these these types of ships boats. I don't know what they call them going down the Mississippi, um, but he he's an architect of. Of things and um, Alfred learned under him, kind of apprenticed under him, grew under him, and then uh, went to serve under him. And when he died, then he took over his uh, command mm -hmm. of, of that. Um, so really, I think he was uh, willing to step up, like you said. I don't think he was in it for the fame or the glory. I think he was definitely in it for. Um, you know, I like to use the phrase, make the world a better place. Yes. Um, so, yeah, we see these little pieces, and there's a lot reported on his military history. Not so much uh, about him as a man in general. So, uh, we've mentioned his brother Charles. Uh, so, before the Civil War, Ellet worked with his brother Charles, who was already an internationally known civil engineer. Mm -hmm. His brother had, was well-known. Um so he worked with his brother Charles during the 1847 building of the first suspension suspension bridge across the Niagara River just below the falls. Really? Yeah. Well, that's fascinating. Mm -hmm. I've been there. It is reported that I mean, he, not that bridge. It's I mean, probably the a area. different bridge. Probably mm -hmm. It's probably a different bridge area. Yeah. It is reported that Alfred built and flew a kite across the river to carry the wires that formed the first connections in referencing the Niagara River. The connections hmm. for the suspension bridge, and that's that's how he envisioned to get across. That's the story. Wow. Okay. Yes. So, upon enlisting in the Union Army, Allet raised three companies of Illinois volunteers, accepting the captaincy of Company I, 9th Missouri Volunteer Infantry, in 1861, later named the 59th Illinois Infantry. At first, the company was named in Missouri because Illinois quota had been filled the previous week. Hmm. His company served with distinction in Missouri campaigns under General John C. Fremont and General S.R. Curtis. A few months later, his brother, Colonel Charles Ellett Jr., requested that Alfred be appointed Lieutenant Colonel, second in command in his newly formed U.S. Naval Ram Fleet. 
Charles had repeatedly warned the Navy Department of their vulnerability to ironclad ramming vessels such as the Merrimack, which had been designed along the lines suggested by Charles' previously published proposals. Mm. This led to Charles undertaking the conversion of river steamers to rams in the spring of 1862, eventually forming a fleet of nine such vessels. This was one of the pioneer marine organizations thought by some to be the first regular commissioned United States Marines. Hmm. The only independent volunteer command in the Union forces, this fleet was part of the Army, not the Navy. So as such, it was accountable directly to the Secretary of War. Yes. Also serving as junior officers in this fleet were Charles and Alfred's sons, Charles River Ellett, and Edward Carpenter Ellett. Both were in the teens when they enlisted. And now this Edward Carpenter Ellett, would this be our E.C. Ellett here in El Dorado? Yes. The worthiness of these rams was proven in the Battle of Memphis in June of 1862, which you mentioned earlier, when the unarmed ram fleet destroyed the Confederate fleet and the city surrendered to Union forces. Colonel Charles on board his flagship Queen of the West was the only Union casualty of the battle. Alfred assumed leadership with the rank of Colonel, commanding from the flagship Autocrat. Following the courageous attack, an enemy held waters against the Confederate gunboat ram, the Autocrat, thus paving the way for successful assault on Vicksburg. Alfred was appointed to the rank of Brigadier General of Volunteers. Successes of Ellis' fleet to the north and Flag Officer David C. Farragut's, I apologize for mispronouncing his name, fleet to the south led to the Union's gaining control of the Mississippi River. This effectively divided the Confederate forces in half and deprived them of resources from Texas, Arkansas, Missouri, and Louisiana. General Ellett commanded the Ram Fleet and its successor organization, the Mississippi Marine Brigade, during operations on the Western Rivers until 1864, when the unit was disestablished. He resigned his commission in December of 1864 to return to civilian life. Hmm. So, hey. And that was, again, a very brief. <laughs> <laughs> very. I mean, you could get. Yes. You condense that 400 and almost 500 pages into yes. a couple. But, you know, uh, it's just really fascinating. And, and again, you know, uh, how much I like to quote Ken. Ken says <laughs> that it is rare that we would have uh, someone of that um, achievement militarily, a Navy officer during the Civil War, end up in El Dorado. I mean, it's it's kind of a big deal, yes. And it's something uh, again until researching this, I've just only kind of heard of him, and of course mm -hmm. the statue outside, right? But not really known as much about him, and for all of his heroism and achievements in the military, then he come he doesn't stop. He now brings his, um, I would say passion and commitment to causes that he believes in to El Dorado. And that's, um, he was, I wouldn't say single-handedly because I don't think that, but I think he definitely used his, um, his fame, traded on his name kind of uh, to work with people back East to help grow El Dorado. I agree. And he is considered by many to be a founder. You know, I like to split hairs there because he was definitely in that, we had a, that first wave who came really and found El Dorado. 
I mean, that's what I call founders. And then we have the people who call themselves founders or thought of themselves as founders 10 years later, and they were building upon the foundation that was already here. I mean, it was, it was already El Dorado. They just bought into the town company and invested and admittedly so grew it, grew it for sure. And so he was in that group of, of what we think of as founders, but really I'm calling them builders. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I think it's a, a good way to distinguish um, the different types of contributions. And mm -hmm. yeah, sometimes it can seem like we're splitting hairs, but it's important. Words have meaning. Mm -hmm. And when we're clear about what certain roles are, I think it gives you a better um, understanding and scope of a bigger picture. Mm -hmm. um, it all it all is connected in the end, but I do like how you said a founder, a builder. I think you had a third term. Uh, expander. I said founding, building. I I think growing. Growing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Elliot has a lot of contributions to the to the to the building of El Dorado. He, like you said, he goes back east to lobby for aid when El Dorado is going through droughts and grasshopper plagues mm -hmm. and can't eat and he's really responsible for for helping mm -hmm. letting people know and bringing back aid for that then he uh, is responsible he lobbies to bring uh, lobbies to work on bringing the land office he's really interested in helping to grow El Dorado and there's this side of me I always want to play devil's advocate a little bit you know he's got investments here before he officially moves full-time he is investing and uh, I mean, I think he wants to see his investment pays off. Yes. So he also lobbies to bring the rail, the railroad yeah. here, like you read earlier. Uh, the what's now Santa Fe? What was it then? The Florence, the Florence, the El Dorado, and Walnut Valley Railroad. Right. And uh, and so you know he a, a lot of major contributions for sure uh, to town all before the Opera House. Right. Because that happens in 1884 right and we still it's still still here mm -hmm. so there right there on uh, central just the first block uh, between Maine and Gordy it is currently a uh, I think an apartment complex or apartment building I'm not sure if they have any retail space down downstairs but I think originally that was kind of the plan to have some business retail space down and apartments up so it's now residence, mm -hmm. but it's still a beautiful building. Nice. It had some renovations. It had been dilapidated for a while. I mean, a building that's over 100 years old. Let's see, how old is it now? If it was 1884, 94, I mean, yeah, 1984. It's 140. Is that right? right? Sounds right. We're going on 40, a couple yes. more years. Yeah, a couple more years. I think General Ellett would be proud to know that it was refurbished, renovated. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a community building anymore for us, but... I think he would be proud that it's still... It may not be like in a community event center, but mm -hmm. it's still a focal point mm -hmm. of Maine Central Area. Mm -hmm. So I, I would hope he would be mm -hmm. happy with that. Well, anything else you want to share with us before we call it a day? Goodness, there's so much. I mean, there is. Yes. We get to have a uh, uh, part two. <laughs>
there's just said that it's, yeah there's just some yeah you don't get to the bottom of history yeah right so we've done a really good broad overview of Brigadier General Ellett, um, but we also had a, a lengthy conversation going into a little more detail on on the specifics with his uh, investments and help in growing El Laredo. Yes. So we're gonna have to cut this story into two parts. That's great. And cover the second half next week. Yes, it just means there's so much more to learn about General Brigadier General Ellett. Oh, and we are not gonna give everybody all there is to know about it because no. there's just so much, but it's, it's a good starting point. Yes, it is. So thank you for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next week where we continue the conversation. Yes. Be sure to tune in each week on Wednesday at 12 o'clock on KBTL 88.1 The Grizz locally or streaming online by visiting kbtl.butlercc.edu. And in the words made famous by Paul Harvey, you'll be able to hear the rest of the story. All views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the individuals expressing them and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or positions of Butler Community College or KBTL 88.1 The Grizz, El Dorado, Kansas, Radio for Butler. here on Everyday El Dorado, but keep an eye out and an ear open for your source of information on the fine art of living well every day in El Dorado. Have a great day. Now I'm not a writer. Okay. Yeah.